Hello, hello, and a hearty good morning. And it's, it's, it's really good to say that. I've been able to, to, to preach in the morning service. Thanks to Brother Josh relinquishing the pulpit for me this morning. Um, we kind of switched AMs and PMs for uh, today. And I'm just so excited to, to talk to you guys about spiritual things because uh, here at Lakeside, I know and I have the full confidence that you guys are, are concerned with those things and that you, you love God and that we are seeking first the kingdom of God as a congregation here and to do the things that he would want us to do and and to to look into his word first and foremost. And so if you could be opening up your Bibles with me to 2 Peter chapter 3 and then verses 14 through 18. 2 Peter chapter 3 and then verses 14 through 18 is what we're going to be talking in just a moment. But before that, as I've done generally most all of my sermons, I'd like if I could just give a, a personal anecdote from my own life. So hopefully you guys could relate that to yourselves and, and then we can relate that to the, this scripture that we're about to read here. As some of you may know, um, while I'm not in college, I stay here in Somerset with my aunt um, who basically raised me and, and treated me as her own son. I love her very much and she loves me, but we've had our spats and our little problems and you, you, you all know that with family, little things can become big things very quickly. We've, we've had several spats over this concept of she'll give me grocery money and she'll say very explicitly, I want you to take this grocery money and I want you to take it to Walmart and I want you to come back with groceries. Okay. I don't really like Walmart. I prefer Kroger. And so, being a Kroger person, where do I tend to go whenever she gives me grocery money? Kroger. It doesn't seem like a big deal to me. It's just absent-minded. That's where I go whenever I want something. I just go to Kroger. It's it's like two lights closer. And you all know if you're native to Somerset that two lights can be an eternity. (laughs) So, I just don't want to fool with it. So, I just go to Kroger. And I learned very quickly... As I've kind of, since I started driving and stuff like that back when I was 16 and she would send me to go get the groceries, that this is not the proper way that things are ought to be done. Um, she'd given me the resources to do the things that I needed to do that she'd asked of me. And I ought to have respected her words, but I just changed a little bit about her request and her command. I, I went, as she said, and I got groceries. But there in the middle, something got lost in translation. And I found myself in Kroger instead of Walmart. And so, obviously, we would all agree, you should respect your parents and your elders and your aunts and your uncles and your grandparents. And you should respect their word. If that's the case, then how much more should you and should I respect the word of the Lord? And now here we find ourselves in 2 Peter chapter 3 and verses 14 through 18, if you'll read along with me. Therefore, beloved, since you are waiting for these... Be diligent to be found by him without spot or blemish and at peace. And count the patience of our Lord as salvation, just as our beloved brother Paul also wrote to you according to the wisdom given him, as he does in all his letters when he speaks in them of these matters. There are some things in them that are hard to understand, to which the ignorant and unstable twist to their own destruction, as they do the other scriptures. You, therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand, Take care that you are not carried away with the error of lawless people and lose your own stability. But grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To Him be the glory, both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. 
And amen to that, for certain. We must take the word of the Lord deadly serious. It is a matter of life and death and our soul salvation. A lot more than, and I'm sorry to my aunt, she's not here, but I'm sorry, but it's just not as important as growth. It's more important than groceries. It's way more important than groceries. Um, way more important than any other earthly or physical consequence that me, we may endure. The words of scripture, they're inspired by God. They must be respected, they must be revered, and they must be upheld to the letter. Now I just want to say, in verse 16 it says that there are ignorant and there are unstable people who twist the scriptures to their own destruction. I've actually been one of those people. Uh, you may know as well if you've gotten to know me that I did not grow up kind of around the church. Um, I came from a, a denominational background and then kind of just did my own prodigal type of thing. Um, and as I kind of started beginning to work my way back to God, I had to have several so, sort of across-the-table type Bible studies and Bible discussions with people, um, preachers from different denominations, priests, and, and even some discussions with people from over in Eastern religions. But eventually I found my way to some people who actually had the truth on baptism. And they had told me essentially that well, you need to be baptized if you haven't been. And I just had so much trouble accepting that because I'd already identified myself as a Christian at that point in my own mind. I believed, you know, I've done what it takes to become a Christian. I've been to the Kroger, you know. And so the, the guy had told me that you need to be baptized. And, I, and my counter argument was, well, actually, I already accepted Jesus into my heart. And after I did, I went outside and it rained. So God baptized me. And looking back, I'm, I'm literally about to get red in the face, probably about as red as my tie. But, and that's embarrassing. That's embarrassing. But that was ignorant and that was unstable. And there are plenty of people out there that still do this. I don't, and I don't think that baptism, as far as being a command, is up for debate at all. Matthew chapter 28 and verse 19. Matthew chapter 28 there in verse 19. A lot of us are going to be familiar with this, this verse from the Great Commission. Matthew chapter 28 and verse 19. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Nobody disputes that this is a command of Jesus. You ought to be baptized. But, I have some breaking news for you guys. Since the first century, God's word on baptism has been abused, it has been tattered, it has been torn, and it has been butchered. And so we are left with these kind of crime scenes of these verses that have just been uh, just ripped and torn to pieces and, and scattered about in different directions from all different angles. Be it from the candidacy of a baptism, the timing of a baptism, the method or the mode or the purpose of a baptism. All these things have been torn and marred by people out in the religious world beyond all recognition. And so what do we do in the face of such a crime, such a grievous crime? Well, in the world of law and order, the first thing that you have to determine is who done it and who is responsible. Number one, we know that it's Satan, but who is Satan working through here in 2 Peter chapter 2 and verse 1? 2 Peter chapter 2 and verse 1. Again, Peter here talking about false teachers. 2 Peter chapter 2 and verse 1. But false prophets also arose among the people. Just as there will be false teachers among you 
who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them, bringing upon themselves swift destruction. Men have come along throughout all of history, and they have intermingled their own different philosophies and presuppositions and egos and identities into the concept of baptism that we find in the New Testament. And as a result, we're just left with this kind of chalk outline of what baptism is really supposed to be out in the religious world today in the common understanding of what it is. I want to pose the question, have you guys ever seen CSI or those different procedural cop shows? You know, they, go, they always go through those montages where they have all the cool equipment. They've got the vials with the different blood swabs and they've got magnifying glasses and different things and uh, microscopes and everything and they're taking up evidence and they're taking notes on everything. And, and, and so, so as we're examining these different crime scenes of the just butchering of these different biblical verses about baptism, I, what I want us to do is I want to use... I want us to use together the only equipment that we really have uh, to do that. And we don't have all these like microscopes and fancy gadgets. But what we do have is we have the Word of God. And actually, for your convenience, what I've done is, if you look kind of in front of your uh, your pew where the songbooks are, I've printed out for everyone a, a, a page of just every New Testament passage that I could possibly find on water baptism. That excluding, though, the baptism of John. And so you look there, and you can use that as kind of a magnifying glass to compare to some of these crime scenes that I'm going to show to you if you'd like. Um, uh, as well, um, I'd like if you would hold on to these and take them with you and maybe sit down and study with someone uh, from these passages. So, to begin, we're going to head to the first crime scene. And here we have, from my very own Facebook feed... My very own real life experience from a friend of mine who belongs to um, a denominational church. Um, they had posted this on the wall and inviting people to come out to their service um, where they said, let's go down to the river. Everyone come join me tomorrow morning at Centerpoint Church of the Nazarene. First early morning service starts at 8 a.m. Second service for those that sleep in at 10 a.m. Baptisms tomorrow. And so I just want to highlight that word tomorrow, because I find it interesting. The concept of a scheduled baptism, what we're going to be discussing here is kind of the, the when. When should a baptism occur relative to me coming to the knowledge of I should be baptized? The idea here is we're all just going to kind of wait until a convenient time for everyone to come together and... And then we're going to get all these different families from the church and, and we're all going to meet up and, and then we're going to put a bunch of people under the water that have like recently decided that they need to be baptized. And a lot of, a lot of religious groups do this actually and they do it in different ways. Sometimes it's, it's not baptism tomorrow. Sometimes it's baptism next month. Baptism next quarter, three months down the line. Baptism on Thanksgiving. Baptism on Christmas. Baptism for the New Year's. And so, we have to determine, well, of, of all these options, when, when is a baptism? And we're going to use the Word of God for that, and we're going to look at kind of what, what would happen to the Scriptures that we have before us if we apply this principle to them. And so, Acts chapter 2, verse 38, if 
if we were to use the logic of, of this post, baptisms tomorrow, would read like this. Repent for the forgiveness of sins and be baptized later. And you think about the context of this verse. On Acts chapter 2, you know, uh, Peter and the other of the twelve, they were preaching the gospel and it inspired people to want to obey Jesus. You know, they were pricked in their hearts and they wanted to live their lives as Christians. And But there were thousands of people in that multitude. And so it would seem logical to the human mind of, well, why don't we just kind of break these up a little bit? We can have some baptisms today, maybe, some tomorrow, next week, a couple months down the line. And sure enough, we'll get all these people under the water. And that kind of seems to be the logic here in these type of religious groups as well. You know, we'll, we'll just baptize people all in a convenient time together. Uh, then we have Acts chapter 16 and verse 33, which would read like this. We've got, uh, actually Brother Mitchell, I think, just preached on Acts chapter 16. And so we have the Philippian jailer and uh, Paul and Silas here. And Paul and Silas had just preached Jesus to him. And, and that verse would have had to read like this if, if, if the jailer had decided to follow the the pattern that we just saw in this previous crime scene. He took them later on that week when all the Christians from Philippi could kind of gather together and wash their wounds, and he was baptized at that convenient time, he and all his family. Just when it would be convenient, they got together, all the Christians in the area, just so that they could make a big show of it and everybody could see, you know, the Philippian jailers, you know, Philippian jailers are Christian now. And if, if we used human logic, yeah, I mean, it could definitely wait for a time when everybody could kind of get together and, and, and do that. And then finally, we've got, you know, Paul, and, and he's looking for, for Jesus, and, and he goes to Ananias. And Ananias would have had to tell him, well, you've been on a long journey there, Paul, so, so let's wait until tomorrow, and, and then you can be baptized. Because, I mean, perhaps, you know, Saul's just burnt out and he's just exhausted and and he just needs some downtime until he he goes through all that baptism stuff and all the big show of getting everyone together you know so we kind of talked about this the the scheduling of baptisms and the the when well well when should i be baptized and 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 this this kind of would indicate that you ought to be baptized just whenever's convenient and so we talked about the when and so now let's look at kind of what a crime scene indicative of whether or not baptism has a very specific purpose or what the purpose of baptism really is. Why would you be baptized? Now, this is taken from the uh, United Methodist uh, denomination website. They're frequently asked questions. They had a lot of different questions that I thought would be good for this lesson, but I thought this one was just the the simplest and and easiest to discuss and and was the most needful. And, And so they had asked the question, uh, someone asked, do I have to be baptized in order to be saved? And the United Methodist Church just answered quite simply, no. Just no. But baptism is a gift of God's grace to be received as part of the journey of salvation. To refuse to accept baptism is to reject one of the means of grace that God offers us. And so what's being said of baptism here? Just put simply and frankly, baptism isn't necessary. It's not essential. It's good to be baptized, but you don't need to be baptized. And that's kind of what they're saying here. And so what would that then do to the scriptures about baptism? 
Well, that would mean that Mark chapter 16, verse 16 would read like this. He that believes is saved and then is baptized. I could even insert if you want to after that. And then we have Acts chapter 2 and verse 38, which we've looked at some, and, and which you're studying about here in the auditorium class as well. Repent for the forgiveness of sins and be baptized later to accept one of the means of God's grace. That last bit confuses me a lot, and maybe perhaps someone from the Methodist denomination could explain it a little bit better, but to say that baptism is an acceptance of the means of God's grace, it just seems a bit odd that that would not necessitate salvation. I mean, I thought that God's grace was was salvation. I thought that was the product of of God's grace, so just, just a bit odd to me. Um, First Peter chapter three verse twenty one would then have to read like this using the logic of, of of this butchering baptism which corresponds to this does not save you not as a removal of dirt from the body but as an outward sign of an inward grace through the resurrection of Jesus Christ and so that's kind of what we're left with here if we take the position found on this website from the United Methodist Church, and that many religious groups take, that baptism is not essential for salvation, but that it is simply an outward sign of an inward grace. This is, this is how the scriptures would read if that were the case. So then, we have to ask, knowing that, okay, bapti- this would be the purpose of baptism, and that would be the timing of baptism, using that, lo- that logic from the previous crime scenes, well, then what would be the way that I would be baptized? What would be the mode or method of a baptism? If this is kind of hard to read for you guys, I'll, I'll, I'll just try to make it very clear in my speech. Um, this is from the Presbyterian denomination, their website, where they, they have taken a position, again, that, that many groups do take, and that is that the water used for baptism should be common to the location, and shall be applied to the person by pouring, sprinkling, or immersion. The key phrase here, by whatever mode the water should be applied visibly and generously. So what's being said of baptism here? This is talking about how baptism is going to be administered. Well, what even does a baptism really look like? Do we need a baptistry or just like a little fountain? What What's the... What's the necessary? Pardon me. What's the necessary look of a baptism, and what what does that what does that look like? Well, that if it's the case that we can do it however we want, we could sprinkle. Then Romans chapter six and verse four would read like this: We were therefore sprinkled with him by baptism into death. And I'm kind of looking around and I'm seeing some weird faces, and and I, I felt the same way. This just doesn't even make any remote sense. I mean. Uh, we were poured with him by baptism into death. Just doesn't quite fit. Just odd. Um, Acts chapter 8 verse 38 would read like this. We've got uh, Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch here in the desert. And um, they're studying the word of God and come to the conclusion that, yeah, ought to, eunuch ought to be baptized here. And so he commanded the chariot to stand still. And both Philip and the eunuch went down nearby the water where Philip could get a handful of it to pour over his head and then he baptized him? I mean, I I could even butcher this even further. Um, 
if, if it's the case that I can administer the water in any kind of way, as long as it's visible and generous, well then, I mean, the Ethiopian eunuch, if he had some drinking water on him, which I assume he would traveling out in the desert, wouldn't even need to go down to the water. Wouldn't even go anywhere near water. Wouldn't even need to say, see here is water. Just take out from your drinking glass and just... Done. Baptism complete, right? It just seems, again, a bit odd. And that's that's kind of where we're left if we're to believe that we can use this phrase by whatever mode. And, and I'm not sure that that lines up. Finally, we come to our last crime scene. And this is going to be a bit of a read. So, again, buckle up with me. Again, if it's hard to read, I'll, I'll make it clear as I'm speaking. Um, this is from... Uh, this is taken from Catholic Answers, where they actually quote directly a, a, a catechism. And again, this is a position that's so commonly take, taken from various angles in different religious groups. Um, the catechism of the Catholic Church gives us the most important reasons why we must baptize infants. Born with the fallen human nature and tainted by original sin, children also have need of the new birth in baptism to be freed from the power of darkness and brought into the realm of the freedom of the children of God to which all men are called. The sheer gratuitousness of the grace of salvation is particularly manifest in infant baptism. The church and the parents would deny a child the priceless grace of becoming a child of God were they not to confer baptism shortly after birth. And then down at the bottom, even if nothing else was said in Scripture implying infant baptism, we could conclude it to be necessary just from the simple fact babies need to have original sin removed from their souls. And if that's the case, then that would mean that the candidate of a baptism can be anyone who's ever been born from age zero all the way to death. And that would include just all humans, basically. Um, And so the thing that's being discussed here is the candidacy, or who can be baptized? Who is eligible? According to Catholic answers, anyone with a heartbeat. Well, let's see what that would do to Acts chapter 2 and verse 41. Again, here on on the day of Pentecost. um, Then those who gladly received his word and those who were too young to understand it were baptized. And that day about 3,000 souls were added to them. It wouldn't really matter whether or not you received the word or not at this point. It just kind of opens the door for anybody to be baptized. And in that same vein, we're here again with the Ethiopian eunuch and Philip. In Acts chapter 8 and verse 36 and 37. Now as they went down the road, they came to some water. And the eunuch said, see, here is water. What hinders me from being baptized? That question, what, what do I have to, who do I have to be to be baptized right now? What, what do I need to do to become that person? And then Philip said, anyone can be baptized, even babies. And he answered and said, all right. And they would have baptized him. I mean, there's nothing standing in your way. There's, the, the thing is, if you believe in infant baptism, then you believe that it's not necessary for you to believe in God to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. And so, we've witnessed just awful crime scenes here. If you love the Word of God, this has been explicitly difficult for you, as, as it was for me, reading through this and kind of trucking through the mud of the religious error of the world and seeing just the harm that has been done to the perfect and inerrant Word of God. But the Word of God, it truly can't be killed. 
It truly can't be left in the state of a chalk outline. It's eternal. And so we do have the word of God. And that means that what we can do is we can see if we can't raise these scriptures from the dead, so to speak. And look at what the true teachings of the New Testament are on water baptism. And what we're going to do is we're going to work in reverse, starting with that that last crime scene all the way back to the first, and we're going to discuss those things. The candidacy of a baptism. The method or mode of a baptism. And then the the timing and purpose of a baptism. And so, here we arrive again. The Catechism of the Catholic Church tells us that infants can be baptized. And really, anyone can be baptized, whether or not they believe in God by the same logic. And so, let us look at the the, the true scriptures and what the true scriptures have to say about this concept. I've also highlighted in blue the fixed part of the verses that also emphasize the error here on this page. Acts chapter 2 and verse 41 reads like this, actually, then those who gladly received his word were baptized and about 3,000 souls were added to them. So, that would mean that in order to be baptized, you must gladly receive the word. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And that would mean that you'll have to be able to understand the truth of the, the word of God. And then again, the, the eunuch and Philip here in Acts chapter 8, 36 and 37. Now, as they went down the road, they came to some water and the eunuch said, see, here is water. What hinders me from being baptized? Then Philip said, if you believe with all your heart, you may. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the son of God. And that, my friends, that is the criteria of a baptism. First, let's not get the the chariot before the horse here. You have to believe with all your heart. That's what the eunuch was asking. What hinders me? Only if you believe. Then you can be baptized. And so a baptism, it is for those that believe in the gospel and believe the things in it that are true and believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Infants are not capable of understanding the Word of God. They're not capable of understanding much words at all. And so, they're innocent. But, it, but once you've been able to understand the word, you should gladly receive it. There's no doubt of that. And so now we understand the, the, the baptism of the Bible as far as what do, who do I have to be to be baptized? What's that criteria? You have to understand the word of God and you have to believe it. So now we move on, working backwards. Back to our friends from the Presbyterian Church and the things that they said. That, that, that you may be baptized by whatever mode. And so we ask that question, how should someone be baptized? Or rather, what does a baptism look like? Well, Acts chapter 8 and verse 38. Again, Philip and the eunuch. So he commanded the chariot to stand still. And both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water and he baptized him. If it were capable and viable to sprinkle or pour the water upon the eunuch in order to baptize him, 
well then why would they need to go all the way down into the water? It's, it's just obvious here that they went all the way down into the water so that they could do what the Bible would have them to do. Romans chapter 6 bears this out just perfectly. Not only is it just a beautiful and just powerful verse about salvation, but it explicitly states the picture of a baptism, what it's for, what it looks like, everything. And Romans 6 verse 3 through 5, Or do you not know that as many of us as were baptized into Christ were baptized into his death? Therefore, we were buried with him through baptism into death. That just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so, we also should walk in newness of life. For if we have been united together in the likeness of his death, certainly we will also be in the likeness of his resurrection. And so that's what we get when we are discussing what a baptism is. It's supposed to look like it's supposed to look like an immersion. The person has to go down into the water and then they must come up to show the resurrection and to show that they're walking in newness of life and that they'll have the hope to be resurrected in the likeness of Jesus as a son of God or a daughter of God. And so that is what a baptism looks like. It looks like a burial. And it looks like a resurrection. And so that's where we go. We're, we're, now we've cleared it up. That's what a baptism looks like. And so we move on, again, working backwards. And as we are faced with this question from this Methodist forum, do I have to be baptized in order to be saved? They say no. The Bible says yes. Mark chapter 16 and verse 16. He that believes and is baptized will be saved. He that believes not will be condemned. Come back with me to Kroger, if you would, for a second. You guys know the free sample stand at Kroger? What if I told you, he that approaches the free sample stand and reaches out their hand will receive the free sample. He that does not approach the stand will not receive the sample. You would understand that. I wouldn't need to say the second half of that phraseology over again that you don't have to reach out your hand. You would know if you don't walk up to the stand at all, you're not going to get the sample. In the same way, if you don't believe at all, you're not going to be baptized. But if you do believe in the the gospel of Jesus Christ and its trueness and its entirety, then yeah. Yeah, you will be baptized in, in obedient faith. Mark chapter 16 and verse 16 says that. And then you'll be saved. Acts chapter 2 and verse 38. Repent and be baptized for the forgiveness of sins in the name of Jesus Christ and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. That phrase, for the forgiveness of sins, it's plain as day. It's black and white. I was actually studying with a member of of a a different church, a a different denomination, uh, a Baptist denomination that is, um, and he was talking with me about uh, this exact verse. And, and I was kind of trying to show the, the biblical, the New Testament truth of it and the, the thing that, that, that we teach as members of the Church of Christ. Um, and he was responding and saying, well, that phraseology for the forgiveness of sins, uh, that can also be translated as because of. And my response was, 
Well, then how come zero reputable biblical translations have rendered that as because of the forgiveness of sins? And furthermore, if you were there on the day of Pentecost and Peter said to you, repent and be baptized for the forgiveness of sins, would you just come up and be baptized for the forgiveness of sins? And he kind of dodged the question, but it was obvious what the answer would be. Yes, you would be baptized for the forgiveness of sins upon that realization. And finally, just the very most clear scripture on this subject. Does baptism save you? 1 Peter 3.21 Baptism, which corresponds to this, now saves you. Not as a removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for a good, uh, for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So what does baptism do? What's the purpose of a baptism? Baptism now saves you. It's a response to God's word in obedient faith. And it's not the water that saves you. Water will not save you. It's God that saves you through obedience. That's how he's always dealt with his people in the past. Those that acted in faith, he delivered them. And he will deliver you if you will obey his commands. And so... Again, here we are faced with the last question. As we've determined, okay, who can be baptized? What does that look like? And what's the purpose of a baptism? We come right round to the same picture that we saw that kind of inspired this whole lesson for me, actually, that read like this. Baptisms tomorrow. And that leaves us with the question of, when should I be baptized? What's the situation here? There are scheduled baptisms. The question is, when? When should I be baptized? And the Bible is going to make that just blatantly clear. Acts chapter 2, verse 38. That command, repent and be baptized for the forgiveness of sins in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, that being salvation. That was for right then. That was for all the multitudes of people that were there in that moment. That command, those 3,000, they obeyed as soon as they could. Acts chapter 16 and verse 33. Here we are with the Philippian jailer again, Paul and Silas. And I love the phraseology here to illustrate this point. He took them the same hour of the night and washed their wounds. And he was baptized at once, he and all his family. Some translations render that as he was baptized immediately, he and all his family. There was no baptisms tomorrow attitude here. This was, this was action. This was urgency. And finally, Acts chapter 22 and verse 16. Here with the soon-to-be apostle Paul. And Ananias told him, And now, why do you wait? He posed that question. Why do you wait? In a rhetorical sense, saying there's no reason to wait at this point. Rise and be baptized. And wash away your sins, calling on his name. You've got sins on you. And they need to be washed away, Saul. And he understood that because he was baptized. Baptism baptism is the moment that we're clothed with Christ. That we put on Jesus. And Galatians chapter 3 and verse 27 tells us that. Without baptism, we can't put on Christ. 
that means we can't identify with Christ. And if we can't call ourselves a Christian, we cannot say that we're saved. Baptism is for a believer in the gospel. Baptism is a full immersion in the likeness of the burial and resurrection of our Lord and Savior Jesus. Baptism is for the forgiveness of sins. And it delivers us from the wages of sin, which is death. And finally, the time for baptism and the time for salvation, it's not tomorrow. It's not months down the line. It's not whenever I get my life in order, whenever I get out of school, whenever I, whenever I get over my awkwardness or my shyness to come forward during the invitation song. It doesn't have to be like that. Everyone here loves you. And everyone here wants to see you obey the gospel and become a Christian if you have not. We look at this picture and there's just a, a fundamental problem. Baptism's tomorrow. And we ought not think this way. Now is the time for salvation. Baptism's tomorrow. Baptism's today. I want to be able to say that. And I want to be able to say, we're having a baptism today. I'm getting a new brother or sister in Christ today. When I step down from this pulpit, and when this invitation song is sung, I'm going to be standing right over there. And so, if there's anything that I can do, or if anything that anyone in this congregation can do, We stand ready to assist you as we stand and as we sing.